how to make them, how important they are, and how many. Welcome to WoW Game Dynasty's podcast, episode number 59. Folks, we have a great, great podcast this week. Hey, we're caught up in the middle of our 30 days in the hole, as we call it. But I think I'm hearing a lot of people, uh, well, myself too, show a little grumbling going on. And hey, we've earned that. Done our, we've done our, our time in the hole as well. And we're getting a little stir-crazy, and that's uh, that's to be expected. But I think a lot of us have got kind of creative on some of the things we've done. And it's kind of neat really dial back to uh, reaching out to our family on some multimedia stuff as far as uh, yeah, the Facebook, call it the Zoom, or whatever it might be. We've had a great time in learning some new approaches to reaching out to family members that we really very rarely get a chance to reach out to, getting some screen time. Yeah, it doesn't uh, re- really substitute for face-to-face, but it gives us an opportunity to do more catch-up, we'll call it. So anyways, aside that, we're, we're talking about a wonderful podcast about deer scouting, deer hunting in the great state of Michigan. Of course, deer hunting, our uh, premier hunting sport in this great state of Michigan. I think we have as many deer hunters as any other state in the United States. So as we should, we have a great deer herd. There's some wonderful opportunities in a, we'll call it three different regions even, the Upper Peninsula, the Northern Lower, and the Southern. You know, I've I've hunted in a lot of different areas, and hey, there's a big difference in uh, the yeah, kind of the size of the deer, the antler, etc. We're not here to really talk about that. We're here to dial into a gentleman that we reached out to. His name is Jerry Everhart. Jerry's a Ohio Buckeye, <laughs> but we won't hold that against him a whole lot. He is a cabin, or I say a summer home, up in the Detour area, and he, like all of us, are eager to get out of our little 30 days in the hole, we'll call it, or whatever the Ohio uh, governor has uh, sentence to those you know to those uh, great residents of ohio anyways he's he says hey we'll get through this he was in a uh, he had a previous uh, career that gives him a uh, kind of an insight to what's going on so he says hey we're going to get through this and it it may take uh, longer than any of us wanted wanted to participate in but uh, on, the, on the other side of this will come out a much stronger society and a stronger person as well so we just got to kind of lock arms on this thing and uh, see through it. Jerry Everhart, I reached out to him a couple of years ago. He was introduced to me by a mutual friend. I learned a couple of really neat techniques. When I say a couple, those couple techniques on deer scouting, uh, deer hunting will even say, really in my opinion, revolutionized part of what I started to do. As I started experimenting, because I didn't want to throw in all on it when I have clients in camp, I you know, I want to try to try and experiment on, say, a dozen clients in camp all at the same time. So I experimented with a few spots for a couple of years, and last year I, I did. I threw all in on it in Michigan. It hit us pay dirt big time. We twice folded more. I, I don't want to say two and a half times, but we doubled the tag outs of our clients, not just with deer, right? not just with um, shooter bucks, but some really nice shooter bucks and some opportunities that people had on some deer on some bucks that we just hadn't seen that kind of activity in the past we'd see a montreal camera but not while in the woods anyways hey without further ado i want to roll right into podcast 59 because jerry everhart really is the uh, is the go-to guy on this thing and hey without further ado let's roll right into podcast episode number 59 jerry everhart this is gary morgan calling hi gary how you doing I'm doing good. How are you, Gary? Good. Not too bad. This craziness that's out in our, uh, not in our just our backyards, we'll say, but it's it's a global thing. But 
you know, sometimes it causes us to pause in life and uh, spiritually, maybe that, well, I shouldn't say maybe, we know it's a very good thing. So it sometimes causes us to reflect back on things and kind of dial ourselves into uh, maybe some really important things in our life that yeah, maybe we sometimes forget about. So True, very true. It uh, makes you stop and think about uh, your future and, and what the next day might be and make sure you're on the right standing with God. You betcha. Yeah, he promises no tomorrows for us, but uh, we sure uh, are hopeful that we have a tomorrow here on Earth. That's right. Of course, yeah. we would like to see one more deer season, wouldn't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's get that out. In the old... Yeah, That's let's, right. let's yeah. just get out there. we got a plan. Uh, I think uh, the, old, the adage is uh, you take today as if it might be your last, but uh, which I'm not claiming that's the case. Right. But... You plan for the future as if uh, uh, you're, you're going to go on for many years. So, And yeah. as you get older, as I am uh, more mature, I realize that uh, you can't look at it as uh, today is the last day I'm going to do this or the last tree I'm going to plant or, or the last stand I'm going to think about. So yeah. totally understand. Is, it's been a while since you and I, well, first off, met up in person and then uh, we followed up with a a podcast. I wanted to reach back out to you, and you were gracious enough to agree to this podcast. Of course, I thought, how can he disagree? He's, he can't go anywhere anyway. So, so I thought, oh, I got him captive now. So, but you know, here we are on the on the front end of maybe some deer scouting in Upper Peninsula of Michigan or the northern part of Michigan. And of course, that's what's on my mind. Uh, it's, not just because I'm a selfish hunter, but I am. But it's a it's a lot of what I do for my my passion, my pastime, my income, etc. So if I'm going to reach out to, uh, we'll say that my top five pers- people for some intel on how to how to approach deer season with a high expectation of results, Jerry Everhart is right there. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> so I am. Uh... Uh, I'm glad. I'm glad to be a part of your podcast. Uh, podcast. Uh, it's a podcast early when years ago, and hardly the, no one knew what a podcast was. But now it's a very valuable, very valuable uh, tool for for us to use and to uh, to inform. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's like anything. We're kind of looked at things a little bit differently now. Embracing thing like a podcast, uh, as we don't have a lot of other tools to reach out in the same path that we used to uh, just maybe a month ago. Yeah, it's changed. That's true. I've been doing podcasts on this journal. I think it could be as many as 10 years. We were one of the early podcasts that was uh, doing podcasts, especially on the outdoors. So anyway, it's a, it's a good tool, and I'm, I'm happy to be a part of your podcast this morning. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to kind of jump right into this thing with uh, two feet i am thinking strongly on heading back up but i'm kind of cautiously awaiting a couple of pieces of information as we talked about with our with this virus uh, issue uh, i don't want to downplay it to be an issue but we'll just play it out to to be what it is it's a very big issue i don't want to take it lightly at the same time i don't want to try to outthink myself and curb myself to a point that I am uh, living in a bubble. Uh, but I'm playing it smart. You and I talked about this before we press the record button. 
and that's a good thing for all of us. We're reaching out to uh, some experts. We're watching things clearly and uh, listening intently and making calculated um, uh, decisions that are in the best interest of not just ourselves and our little spot, more importantly for those around us. But with that in mind, my, my mind is still thinking, I'm heading up north, I'm going to go out in the woods, I won't see anybody, and that's a good thing. I plan on implementing when time is right um, the methods that you taught me before when you and I met in person at your at your wonderful place in Detour, Michigan, and boy, did I see the uh, results because uh, what you advised me to do, I did as much of that as I possibly could based off my memory. The results just amplified, twi twice fold, I'll say. That, that, that's great. Uh, that's great. But I guess I'm not surprised. <laughs> right. I'm not surprised. So I, I assume you're going to tell, tell our listeners here uh, what, what kind of uh, activities you did, right? What, in other words, what I gave you directions for. Maybe I, I can't recall exactly how much information we covered, but uh, I guess we probably covered a lot about uh, hunting over scrapes and licking branches and then making licking branches and hunting over scrapes, hunting at the right time. But uh, is that correct? Is that basically what you're referring to? It is. It is. Um, the process that I went through was based off some notes that I jotted down after you and I met, you and I talked, and a, a lot about what I listen to on your podcast, especially that part one, part one and part two of rut functional actions that the hunter must take to become involved in that. So I took and reached out to you and purchased some, uh, some deer lure in a large quantity. I think it was a quart, knowing how much different spots that I utilize for my deer hunters, since I'm doing a a guided situation, I'm going to need multiples. And I basically repeated at each spot times however many spots I had and and dug up some new spots, we'll say, and went on a scouting bin for a couple of days and found uh, probably two or three. As we know, it's so much fun getting out in the woods, so scouting's not a, not a chore. It's just so much fun. But you've got to put in a lot of miles just to find maybe two or three spots, particularly in the Upper Peninsula. So I'm looking for pockets of deer, some hunting areas that are good, show good results for deer activity. Then I went to uh, to my memory of you showing me how to do a proper licking branch right out in your yard in detour. Basically replicated that at each of those spots with the idea that I knew I had a small handful, say four spots, that were already primary rut spots. And I basically just started using the the deer lure. The couple of things I did maybe a little bit different was that I purchased an atomizer bottle. I think it's a four-ounce bottle. It's amber. It's a spray, so it mists on there. I noticed that I use quite a bit of it, so I'll use probably a half a bottle, so maybe two ounces per spot each time. I began doing it in May. I skipped June because we know the bugs are so awfully bad in the UP. I went back up in July, went back up in August, went back up in September. And actually, I think probably I added a, a time frame in there because I was doing it about every three weeks. Each spot, I'm, yeah. each spot I'm hitting up about four to seven licking branches within a vicinity that if I were to put a client there, they can probably shoot at 
If there's five spots, they can probably shoot at most all five spots, whether it be a bow or a gun setup. Yeah, I think you you uh, probably listened to notes rather well, Gary. What you're referring to is uh, on our podcast and and uh, what I have taught uh, for several years, many years, is what we call rut functional hunting. And uh, that sounds complicated, but it's really not complicated. It's utilizing, uh, first of all, licking branches around the stand and uh, then activating those licking branches to get the deer there and using those licking branches uh, so that when the time to that bucks get interested in making their scrapes, you utilize that licking branch to make mock scrapes under and then you put some scent in those mock scrapes. Now, fire not visit those, and the bucks has been fired up on those licking branches for several months, but now you're firing up the bucks that's looking for a doe. Yes. And, uh, and uh, making that scrape at a prescribed time before the key days to hunt just drives these bucks nuts. So that's, that's basically what you do, and then make sure that you don't hunt that stand too early, and go in and hunt it, results are, are remarkable. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of a summary, I think, of what the notes that you, you took. Uh, I would assume that's about, from what you said, that's basically what I would have done. Uh, the, the only thing I, I want to make sure that our listeners get, that the location, as you're going out looking for locations, you said one thing was important. You look for locations where you've seen rut activity in the past. So that means you've seen a scrape there, probably. Yes. You've seen some rubs there. So you know that, that it's an okay area for bucks. So now you start looking for a place to put, a, put your, your stand or your blind in a way that would be successful. And that's exactly what you, you would do. The only thing I want to add that, that I'm sure you did is that you'll look for two trails of the right distance apart so that you can make these licking branches over those two trails and then you kind of make a trail across the front if one's not there just uh, take your hand weak whacker or anything you can to trim it out to where there's a trail across the front so basically what you're doing is you're looking at having licking branches and and the scrapes for the hunters to get ready to hunt the box scrapes at your left to your front and at your right to where you can shoot and that's exactly what you said. That's that's the method in a nutshell. That's that's true. Now we get a little, we probably want to get a little bit more into the licking branch and, and the significance of licking branches. But is that I think that's basically what you did. Is that correct, Gary? Yes, it is. Absolutely, you you summed it up ex- almost exactly what I did. There were a a few spots, as we know, in the Upper Peninsula, our, our deer per square mile does not rival that of the Lower Peninsula, but they kind of survive in pockets. So I went out looking for, and I had the, I had in the back of my mind where these pockets were because I'm up there so much, I, I kind of know that area a little bit. So I would go to those pockets of deer, and so I at least had a captive audience to begin with, and then knowing, like you had mentioned to me, Geez, Gary, if, if you're looking at three or four per square mile, once you start these licking branches, it's like social media. You kind of build it, they will they will come and they will start joining in on on the program you're offering. And, and it's a social media thing for them or a social program. And that's exactly what happened as I thought. Okay. You mentioned as long as the area has enough food, 
and security, you know, basically the habitat that'll that'll take it from three to six to nine to twelve deer per square mile. Or even so, if, if it draws them in, they'll travel over there a little bit and to keep checking out, hey, what's what's that new scent on that limb or you know, yeah. blah blah blah. That that worked out to a T. <laughs> and uh, they're skeptics. There are, there are people that uh, have tried and worked at this, and, and and it works, but they still wonder, well, will it work again next year, or does this work? Well, I'll guarantee you it works. Yeah. Licking branches, and let's start out with the licking branches. The licking branches, and I'm talking about licking branches in that proper, proper setup. Licking branches are so important that it's probably the most under, underestimated and under used tool in a deer hunter's arsenal. I don't, I don't, you know, I, I can understand why they don't use it because it's relatively new in, in terms of how to make them, how important they are, and how many. You notice I said licking branches. I didn't say licking branch. Right. Making one licking branch is hardly of no of any value to you. Yeah. Uh, and what I'm what I'm trying to get at is I've been hunting over. And I'm not taking this from a from a ego or a bragging uh, stance. I'm I'm just giving you I'm giving our listeners a background. I've been hunting over and experimenting with scrapes, box scrapes for over 45 years. And believe me, when I started out, my success ratio wasn't that that good. It took me a long time to figure out the importance of and how to do this. And, and one of the biggest problems I had was not knowing the importance of the licking branches. That's the biggest thing I underestimated. I thought if I found a, a scrape and there's a licking branch over it, I just went to set the scrape and I'd hunt over that scrape and I'd kill a big buck. Well, it didn't happen. I mean, if I started using some good scent and I did see more than I had before, but it, it didn't do what we're talking about doing. Yeah. So I realized one licking branch on your stand or two licking branches and two mock scrapes are not going to do it. I'm just right. telling you folks, it just doesn't do it. It takes more than that. It takes multiple licking branches and, it, and it'll take multiple mock scrapes because you need to be able to have these mock scrapes to the left, to the front, and to the right of you for many reasons. You're talking about deer population coming in. We're gonna, I want to talk about that. But first of all, I want to point out to, to everyone who's listened to this, if you had your mock scrape to the right of you, prevailing breeze that day is blowing from the, your right side across to the left, to, or from right to left, well, guess what? Every deer that's in this quadrant over here to the left is going to pick up your human scent before they'll pick up the scent of that scrape. Yes. So you now alarmed every deer in 50% of your quadrant of, of, your, of where you're hunting. So that's why all of these hunters and all of these TV shows say, I, I did not that stand because the wind wasn't right. I'm trying to tell you, everybody, you don't worry about the wind if you have these mock scrapes set up and you have them freshly scented. And a buck's been there several times before as you take your history. That buck knows where every one of those scrapes is at because you've scented it and he's been there. So that buck is interested in those scrapes and whether 
on that, he's coming in, and he's not going to be smelling you from that time on. That's why you want to left, front, and right. That means that no matter which way the breeze is blowing, you are covered. And I'm not saying don't do scent control, but it's so important to make sure that you set them around you. Yeah, it's kind of a acts as a... I kind of call it a wind jam or a nose jammer. It's exactly right, yeah. but it's better than uh, you know. I, I'm I I know some of the scents that's made out there for that reason, and those scents are made out of uh, they're great. They they make sense out of the uh, 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 actual glands of a deer, and so when you put that around, deer said, "Well, there's no, I don't smell human. I smell deer. That's good. That's okay, but." I prefer not to do that. I prefer to put the doe and estrus, yeah. doe and estrus in those with some tarsal in it, in those scrapes and on those licking branches, so that that buck and those deer are not just saying, mm, "Yeah, there's been a deer here." He's saying, "Oh my goodness, there's a girlfriend here." Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's a whole different story. It yeah, increases your odds tremendously if you've got those scrapes and they're scented. No matter which way the wind is going, I pay no attention when I set a stand up. I set a stand up for where I think the deer is going to come from. I can care less which way the wind is. In fact, I prefer the wind to be moving toward where the deer is coming from because when they take that scent of, of that dough and it's just enough scrapes, they come in just like a people running a rabbit. Yeah. And when they don't, sometimes you got to get their attention. Yes, indeed. So anyway, I rattled on there for a while without getting back to the looking branches, but I'm trying to set the stage for why you do that. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's funny. I, I had a conversation with a guy in camp, and it was during bear season, and actually we were talking about deer season, and he was asking about how the deer herd in the UP is. And, of course, we shared a little bit of that, and he, you could tell he understood deer hunting pretty well, and I was telling him about the rut functional method. And he kind of looked at me, and he, he's the one that brought up the, because I said, basically, it's a it's a nose jammer situation. He said, well, they make stuff for that, Gary. I mean, why you go through all that? And I thought, you know, it's 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 like putting up a, a sign one day that says, deer, come here. And if a deer happens to be, you know, within ear sight, in this case, no shot, they'll come in. But I want to, I want that sign up there a lot. I want several of them. So, yeah. Not just exactly. going out there and, and, and scent bomb in the area with a nose jammer one day. I want that stuff out there, and to the point where, like you said, it appeals to their to yeah. uh, and they're and they're coming in and visiting there all all summer, all early time. fall. Yeah, all the time. Yeah. Uh, before we, before we go to that subject of, of coming there all summer and and, and getting used to it, uh, I I want to point out to everyone that that utilizes. Uh, uh, you know, uh, calming sense, we would call them to calm, to calm the deer. Basically what that is, is that's a scent of the deer, a deer, and they feel like, okay, there's a deer there, there's been a deer there in the area, and so they don't get alarmed and, at your human scent. Now, I just want to point out that if, on a place where you hunt, how many deer go through there? You know, there's deer there all the time, so they're used to smelling deer, that doesn't mean they're going to run to where those deer are at. You understand? It's not an attractant. It just kind of covers your scent. We're talking about attracting, not yeah. covering your scent. 
Yes. Attracting deer. This is a whole other, whole other level. Yeah. Of uh, of success. Uh, so that I just want to make that point. Oh, very yeah, good they point. make all kinds of sense for that, but they but they don't make all kinds of sense to bring the deer in and run it coming in to your to your location. Yeah. That's a whole different story. Yeah. Yeah. And in the in that conversation with that gentleman, even asked about, well, what do you use? And I told him. Of course, you you uh, alluded to that a little bit earlier. Tarsal and estrus sense. Yeah. And I just. It's a, it's a yep. And I and I mentioned that to him. And he kind of wrinkled his nose. You could tell it was it, it was peculiar to him. I think exactly. I think he's trying it. He said he's going to give it a try, but yeah. it was a situation where he just, you know. And I said to him, I said, Hey, I am uh, reiterating what I was told, and that it needs to be a high quality. Now, they sell it doesn't necessarily mean you have to buy it there, but the last thing you want to do is to go through all this work and all this methodology and use a poor quality or a synthetic scent. Exactly. Or use a scent that doesn't have the right, the right ratio of some, of some tarsal and, uh, and yeah. uh, doenestrous. That's exactly right. And so, uh, and this, this isn't necessarily a plug, but I'm just trying to say uh, what the tendency that we use, uh, I use and you use, is called uh, uh, trail and scrape. And uh, that tra- trail and scrape, dear said, uh, the asterisk is not going to be available until September, but the non-estrus is available anytime, and we need to talk about why you, that's important to start start your licking branches. You can start your licking branches and get that going uh, anytime, but the, if you don't have any estrus, doing estrus, in fact, the supplier, he may have some kept back. Uh, I have found out, here's what I do, I freeze a bottle of what's left from my estrus scent the year before I freed it, I use it on my licking branches up until the time that new fresh estrus is available. Works great. I'm telling you, it just works great. Nice. It brings those deer in, brings those bucks in. But whenever you start that scrape activity, what it does is it just it just blows people's mind. And we'll go over the numbers real quick. But it, it is amazing. It's simply amazing to do that. And uh, uh, I would highly suggest anyone that wants to increase their odds and honey whitetails, uh, huge plus. In other words, it's licking branches. It's using the right scent to, to activate the licking branches and to keep, you know, activate them. It's, it's then activating the scrapes and using the correct scent and the scent and then knowing the time to go to hunt. And um, if you're looking for the scent, it's at uh, Hunter's Blend Coffee manufacturer, but it's Hunter's Blend Coffee. Huntersblendcoffee.com. You can go search, search Hunters Blend, and then when you go to their menu up at the side of the menu right now, there's a little pop-down window that you pop the window down, and it comes to where that scent is available. Through, and you can order it right there. And also, the key dates of the rut is also available there too at Hunters Blend Coffee. Nice. But so, so that's uh, I made it available there just because I needed to. If we're going to talk about how to do it, you need the tools. Yeah. So that's where, that's where it's at. So let's yeah. let's back up a little bit. Yep. Licking branches. Uh, I want to talk about licking branches, if I may. Is that okay, Gary? Oh, absolutely. Please do. Okay. Uh, I would, uh, as I said earlier, licking branches is probably one of the most underestimated tool that you can use. Here's why. Licking branches 
once you activate a licking branch and make the licking branch, so we talk about making the licking branch. It's a it's a branch. There's branches everywhere. There's tree limbs hanging down. Sometimes you don't have to take a piece of nylon cord. I use I use decoy cord that you would get at Bass Pro or Cabela's or anywhere that you you use the tiger decoys and you know hunt ducks with that. There's two different sizes, a heavier and, and a small one. I, I carry both. Sometimes I'm pulling a whole tree over, a small tree over to get the limbs down. But yes. anyway, I use nylon cord to pull a limb down to where it's properly over the trail. And uh, then I'll trim that branch back to where there's a, at least one limb, a branch, hanging down or hanging out, uh, leaning down preferably out over where the mock scrape is going to be in the future. And then you take a pair of pruning shears, like you trim your rose bushes, and you trim it back to where there's no twigs coming out of it for at least 12, 14 inches or 20 inches to where that branch is sticking out and it's predominantly away from the other branches around it. Now, there's a lot of other branches around it. You trim those off and carry those out too so that you've got this predominant limb sticking out over where the trail, and that's a licky branch. After you've learned to find those in the woods, you can go down a deer trail, like when you're scouting, and you'll see, well, there's a licky branch. And you may walk another 100 yards and so, or 50 yards, and you'll say, well, there's another licky branch. So they're natural, they're in the woods. But what we're doing is we're making a lot of them right where you're going to hunt. Now, right. a lot of them. Why would you want to make a lot of them? Why, what, do you, what do you think, Gary? Why, did, why do you want <laughs> a lot of licking branches? Well, you know, a couple of reasons, uh, probably several reasons, but obviously you want to give the deer an opportunity to, a, to uh, we'll call them adopt, adopt these. Because I noticed when I made, in one spot, seven or eight of them, and two of them really never developed, but the other four or five did. They kind of adopted them as their own. And this was a spot that I did not notice any licking branches. And so the more licking branches provided more opportunities for deer to kind of claim the new spot as their home range and come and visit that area quite frequently. Plus it was a kind of a semi-circle, we'll call it a half circle, around our hunt spot that I call it that nose jamming uh, uh, deal, but it was an opportunity that the hunter had that, so his uh, scent was, uh, we'll call it overlooked or over, over, uh, scented by, yeah. It's protected. Yep. His scent is being protected. His human scent is being protected by the scent of the licking branch and the scrapes around his band. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then, uh, it allows, uh, it allows, uh, the deer to approach from any direction. Yes. Uh, preferably, I'd put none behind me because I can't shoot behind me, and I don't put a licking branch anywhere I can't shoot to. And Jerry, I heard you yeah. describe that. You yeah. got that. Yeah, Jerry. I tell you, just to pause for a second here. There, I had a spot that was a good hunting spot. It was a uh, spot that would produce about every other year. And it, it was just a great spot. It's a kind of a ridge, and it really isn't frequented by a lot of deer on that particular ridge because there's enough sand and stuff to show tracks or not so much. And But come rut season or pre-rut season, it changes. Well, I began that putting out some licking branches at that particular spot. I thought, well, it's a good spot. I'm going to make this thing into a, 
a rock star spot. And I thought, well, I know them deer come from this one area or two. So if the wind is this direction or that direction, this is the only opportunity to put that person there. Well, we, we went in there and I noticed that they were coming from a downwind spot. I kind of wrinkled my nose. The place was literally on fire as far as buck activity. And I just thought, well, I'm going to give it a chance. That guy sat there and shot a really nice nine point with split brows. Within two hours, it came downwind and he, it surprised him so much, the hunter, because it came from a spot that he, it was last what he thought would happen because it was downwind. And he, and, and he, he says, I don't know what you're doing, but he says, man, it worked. <laughs> yeah, that, that, it's exactly, that, that's what it does. It works. It draws them from uh, the, the day of the hunt. It draws them from wherever they're at. If the wind is going in their direction, they smell it. My worst case is that the wind is going uh, uh, from a direction. A deer is going down to the buck, is going to the, down the right of me. Uh, or down to the left of me, and the wind is not moving in his direction. That's the worst case. Uh, and I carry a doe, uh, a doe call, a couple doe calls, uh, a doe and estrus call, a doe, uh, a, a, you know, a doe uh, bleat. Yep. Uh, not a not a doe, not a bomb bleat. A doe estrus call, and and even that the can works quite well. And I will, and when I know that the breeze is going, not going in that favor, and I see him going down the side at a distance, I will use that can and try to get their attention. If it's quiet enough, they can hear it. Because to get their attention, they're not coming in for a fight. They're smelling for, they're trying to, to determine if there's a doe and estrus there. Yeah. So I'm not, I don't grunt. I, I'm not against it. I just don't use the grunt call. I don't do it because I'd rather have that buck coming in looking for a, for his girlfriend than coming in looking for a fight. Yes, and it works. It just works. But to get back to the to the licking branches, uh, those licking branches, people will often get a hold of me. Like I said, it took 45 years to to find out how important those licking branches are. Uh, those licking branches uh, are are so important that. It's kind of like the deer doesn't have a telephone. They can't they, they can't call like we do on our iPhones all the time. We carry our phones with us. We want to talk to someone or know where you're at. We give them carry a call. Hey, where are you at today? These deer use those licking breeds just to find out who was there, when they were there, and which way did they go. Yeah. And those licking branches are their communication. That is how they communicate with each other branches and sometimes they'll go past them i've been studying for years putting cameras on them ever since they invented the camera and uh, again i would highly not recommend putting a camera on your best rut stands uh, except for research purposes but anyway i've, I've studied them and deer will go past these licking branches and they'll sniff them and go right on by sometimes but many times these deer will just stop and they'll get up and they'll touch that licky branch and nuzzle it, they'll, they'll nuzzle it, they'll smell it, and then they'll know what's going on, and they decide what they're going to do from there. Yeah. So these licky branches is like a communication, it's a communication post for every deer in the woods. Yeah. And the more of them you got, the more comfortable they are being there. Boy, that's for sure. Uh, I We were up in bear season, and of course September, and we were winding down that first hunt, to the second hunt. The second hunt we don't really participate up in the UP with 
because we're down in the Red Oak area, down in the uh, northern lower, and uh, that Red Oak season opens about the same time as the second hunt. So my buddy and I, he helps me with my uh, bear stuff, and we were out collecting spots, uh, some some blinds, etc. Just doing some some work out in the woods. And I told him, I said, hey, I got all these cameras. I got good fresh batteries on. I said to him, I said, Ross is his name. I said, Ross, let's go distribute some of these cameras. And he looked at me like, we haven't walked far enough already, Gary. Come on, it's been a long day. And I said, you know what? We're here. Let's get this stuff. Let's get a couple of cameras out. So we put four cameras out So on four particular spots, kind of like you just said, that research spot. Never, I never forget this one spot. I knew there was a scrape there from years ago. And I check it out almost every year. It's that primary rut spot. You'll see a major scrape and then several of them that are 50 to 80 yards away. And I had put a, a, a bait pile out, not then, but during gun season, and probably about 150, 200 yards away, thinking I'll go downwind of that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's been a productive spot. It's been a good spot. I put out some bait when it came to be uh, the time that I could put out bait. And I put that camera out, and I put the uh, tarsal asterisk on those licking branches, on those uh, scrapes that were already existing. And I put a camera out at that, and a camera out at the bait. The camera out at the scrapes with the licking branches, three times the value. And and there was two bu- two bucks that were phenomenal bucks. Oh, they were dandies. Oh, my goodness gracious. They were just... They never showed up on camera at the bait, did not come to the bait, but they came and visited yep. that licking branch or licking branches several times. Yeah. And so I told, I told Ross, I said, I'm getting real close, Ross, to abandoning this bait. I'm getting real close to saying I've had it, I've done with it. it you, your, your time when you're hunting in the fall and uh, in, uh, your, cha- your opportunities are much, much higher in killing a buck over uh, scrapes, looking branches and scrapes set up as we described than it is over bait. Yes. Many times. Many times more. I've done this for years. I've tried it. I've done it all. I've done both. And it's just amazing. Yeah. There's a time for the, there's a time for the bait late season, later, later, but uh, during the time that the, the bucks are laying down scrapes and, and running their scrapes and just before they end, getting ready to breed, yeah, there's no comparison. Okay. And then here, go back, go back to the uh, the importance of this. Let, let's let's. I'm going to get. We're going to talk about the real life scenario. You got a, you got a property. Let's say, for example, let's just kind of estimate a 60 acre property. You got a 60 acre property. Now, on a 60 acre property in a place where you got good deer population, you might have if you'd have cameras up on that 60 acres at various places. I'm not just talking about overscrapes. I'm just saying various places. And uh, over a food plot, for example. And you looked at all the bucks you'd see in a year's time, in the fall, September, whatever. You might have two bucks on two to three bucks that would be on that property you'd get on camera, you know, in the rest of the time. That's about an average. Mm-hmm. Now, if you put these, if you put out a stand with all these clicky branches, and you just activate and get these leaky branches going, the number of deer that will come there will frequent that particular spot really goes up. Now, when you then activate it with that doe and estrus and 
you mark, you scrape those scrapes out and, and, and put sit in those scrapes. These bucks are now traveling a lot more. So the two to three bucks that's in your area traveled farther than they did before. And I don't mean farther, they got a range. A deer's range is about a mile and a half by a half a mile, maybe a mile and a half to, to by, by a mile wide. That's about the range. Yeah. And people, and, and there's been a lot of studies done, uh, many studies, and, and there's a lot of them available. We don't have time to cover them. But the deer only go out of those ranges a couple times, and usually when they go out of that range, they're only out one day and back. Yes. But just, just think about, just take a piece of paper, put your stand in the middle of that piece of paper and, to scale and go go a mile and a half from that point, a mile and a half in every direction, a mile and a half in every direction. And you think about how many deer is in that mile and a half around of your, your, your stand location. Just think, every buck in that mile and a half range, in, that means in his range, he will find your scrapes after you put those sin in it. And we, you make those scrapes, what we say, I, I, I gave you the number, you said, uh, you said uh, uh, 40 days is basically what I recommend. I think yeah. that's what probably I gave you. Yeah. 40 days before the key day to hunt, you, you can go a little more than that. You make these mock scrapes. Well, what happens when you make those mock scrapes and put that scent in it? These bucks are traveling a lot more because they're making scrapes and they're traveling right now. They're in the, they're starting in the early, early ages of the sea stage. Yes. And they'll start four weeks before. They'll find your licking branches and they'll find your mock scrapes and they'll go come back and visit it more often. So in the first week, you'll go from three to four bucks. In, in, in seven days time, you'll go to about 10 bucks. In two weeks' time, you'll go to 15 different bucks. Wow. Visit that stand side. And by the time the key day comes, which is four weeks away, for, you know, four to five weeks from the time you made that, you will go from three bucks to 20 different bucks. Oh, now, that's amazing. That I mean, is you amazing. You increase the amount of deer that comes to your stand by a fold of about eight. Yes, indeed. Times. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I got one bone to pick with your with your method, though. I really do. Okay. Um, you know, I don't know how to say it. It's just I'm going to bring it up, and uh, you got there's a flaw in this thing. And uh, okay. So I was in the UP, and I did this, and it took about actually it took four days because of some scouting, and I and I went through that 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 court of uh, and I went through that, and actually I had another container that I had in my backpack and I went through that too and I got done and of course then you know I reapplied it so I went through all that and I'm thinking man this is good on my back I'm not carrying 50 pounds of corn and everything else this is really I'm liking it it got to be about five days before gun season in the in Michigan so on the 15th I'm back up there and I'm gonna say okay I gotta put I gotta put blinds out ground blinds to spots that I haven't done that yet and, I, and I'm looking at these spots one by one and just smiling. All of a sudden, the downside, the, the spots were looking so good, they got adopted by other hunters, a couple of them, because I'm hunting, I'm hunting federal land. And I ran into the one guy, and he said, well, I don't see your stand here. Where's your bait pile? I, I, and how do I, you know, how do I fight that when I don't? I think it, well, it, I, is, it is a problem. <laughs> the, the, the one thing you're right, Gary. The one thing that we haven't talked about 
in this whole thing is when you start to look for the, the, the spot to make your licking branches to put your stand up, the first thing that you think about, and this is the case in anything dealing with deer hunting, the number one thing that you have to think about is pressure. If pressure. Is there going to be any pressure on that stand? And, and most usually when you're putting them out, here's what happens. The hunters that do this for the first time, including you, I'm surprised that you didn't go sit on one of those stands early because of the buck activity. Oh, I am. Bucks start opening these scrapes up, and most people say, I can't stand it. It's not time to go yet, but i got to go because I think they're showing up while they're still doing it at nighttime. Yeah. So the later you wait to that key day, that time period, those, those six six days, seven days, of, uh, and then you got I'm not trying to one up you, but we're at the we're at our Atlanta cabin. I say we, my wife and I, and I put some licking branches across. It's a small river or a large creek, and we have a spot we can cross there—a log. And I put some spots over there, and a guy successfully harvested a nice nice deer. And we were walking there last weekend on our property, and and she was. She wanted to know where the property line was for whatever reason. I was kind of distracted. She says it was only uh, 10 acres on that particular side of the creek. So she went walking and she stopped and I looked and she picked up something. And I'm, I said, what do you, what did you find? And she says, you wouldn't believe it. I found a deer antler and, and it's a half of a 10 point, not a remarkable 10 point, but it's a dandy. And, and I thought, boy, I mean, I just don't find, I'm not that, you know, she was kind of nonchalant, and I'm like excited, you know, and, and I, I knew right where that thing laid, it was right at that licking branch run, and it, it's it's part of that, because the guy, the person that I sat in that spot, he was sitting on a high bank on the other side of the creek, so he's kind of looking down, and that's, I mean, obviously that those deer, it's a, like you say, it's a year-round thing. If the winter hasn't changed their behavior to move them into a migrating or a yard area. Exactly. Yeah. Those deer are going to come to those licking branches all the time. And after you put mock scrapes under them, they're going to even frequent them more. Because those, 
I don't know what it is, but those would rather go to a licking branch that's under a scrape than the one, one, one that's not under a scrape. Because I've done that. I've, I've had two or three licking branches right in a row, put camera on it, and make scrapes under, under one of them and not scrapes under the other two licking branches. And they'll check all three licking branches, but they tend to check the one where the doe or where the scrape is, the does will go to that one more. Wow. And the bucks, are more, more likely than not, will the one that's got a scrape under it too. Yeah. The old scrape. That, that scrape doesn't have to be active for them to visit. They know where that scrape's at. Uh, it can be the word you'd have a hard time finding it, but they know where it's at. Yeah. It's there. I don't see them urinate in it. The only time you know, they urinate in it, it is in the fall. But they like it. I don't know what it is. They like it. Uh, the other thing that I would mention to uh, two, two points that I need to to, to cover is uh, the height of the licking branch. Yes, and, uh, yes, absolutely. I, that licking branch, I'll make up from 40 to 60 inches, 60 inches being five foot high, and uh, I'm 5'11", five, 5'10", I'm five five and uh, so it, it comes to about my neck is what I like. Uh, yep. The, the height that that's where does can reach up and bucks can get them too now where i've got multiple limbs where there's a limb coming down where there's more than one licking branch right there and you might have two or three of them within a foot of each other i'll i'll do that i'll come back and make a couple of them in that case i will make them even higher i'll go up to 70 inches because big bucks kind of like those they'll get up even they'll raise up on their hind haunches to get to the higher limbs. Yeah. So I don't go any higher than uh, 70, but when I do that, uh, it's generally more than one limb that I've got at that spot. But uh, 40 to 60 inches is about right uh, for, for my licking branches. So I wanted to Perfect. cover that. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the the one thing, too, that, I mean, we talked about scent. You, you of course, touched on that. One thing I remember you saying, and I've heard this with a couple other hunters that you know, hunt very successfully as well, you know, the first day is the best, second day is 50% drop off and, you know, or whatever the right. percentage is. Third day is still okay. After about three days in a hunting spot over a period of time, you're about done. I kind of violated that at a couple spots. They still look great. And what happened was is those, I think, I'm guessing, the mature bucks the bucks that the hunters were hoping to harvest in those two spots finally caught on and got a little leery. Daily foot, you know, every day in and, and then coming out for three or four days. Exactly right. Yeah. Uh, there's been studies made. I had my own studies and I had data and I've been kind of teaching this data for many years. And, uh, but then uh, uh, a, a very respected uh, deer biologist uh, worked on a, a project in uh, Georgia what had to do with uh, uh, making a fence to try to keep deer from crossing the highway. I remember and, uh, I remember that story. I remember you telling me that. That is a cool story. Yeah, and uh, so this uh, his, his respected biologist the, and the hunter wanted to uh, get more information, so he then uh, got a hold of all the people that hunted along the side of that of the freeway and asked him to keep a logbook for him. And he did, or, you know, right down his, uh, the fence did work. Uh, but what he learned was as these people went to the stands, as they hunted, the number of times they went and the hours they hunted, the amount of deer that they decreased, decreased significantly. What happened is he had to, to tag these deer with radio collars to see if they 
across the fence and could get up back across. So it tags a bunch of deer with radio collars and it has have the hunters keep their their field notes. And the field notes were where the hunters, after they hunted, uh, either went to the, the stand uh, three times or hunted 12 hours, they didn't hardly see the, the amount of deer they saw decreased. Uh, it was more than 70%. It was like 90%. Oh, my. They didn't see, yeah, 90% decrease in the amount of deer they saw. The significant thing is he had to go in and get the data from the, he had to get so close to the radio callers to get the data off of them. And he found out that those deer were still there. They, they had not <laughs> left the area, but they, they didn't come within 100 yards of these deer hunter stands wow. in the daylight. Wow. They, they knew where they were at, but they, the deer were still there. They were avoiding the stand. Like, so I thought that was pretty interesting. It is. Just like you said earlier, their home range is like a half a mile by a mile and a half or maybe a mile by a mile and a half. And, right. And they're there. I mean, one way or the other, they're going to be there. One way or the other, they're there. And, and you know, there's, there's many, many articles been written where people radio call a deer and they said they traveled 90 miles during the three weeks of the rut. Uh, 90-something miles. Well, they did. That's true. I've, I've seen the radio study myself. But it's all within their mile and a half range. Uh, you know, they'll go out of it. Uh, maybe one of them, one buck will go out a mile more. One out of 12 will go a mile more than they did before. But they always come back that next day, you know. So the activity increases. That's why they want you want to have your licking branches and your scrapes there so they know where they're at. You that's bet. it. Yeah. And that's the nice. bottom line. Wow. They, it, it, it's like magic. <laughs> it's like magic. It is. And for me, it's just been fantastic. I, 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 I'm I, so, every year, it's like Christmas time. Yeah. You, may not, you may not get the deer you want, but you're sure going to get a lot of opportunities that you didn't get before. Jerry, the neat, there's several neat things that I, I really enjoy in listening to your podcasts, reading some of your stuff that you've wrote before, but some several things stick out, but I'm going to, I'm going to just touch on one is that there are a lot of hunters that have a TV program and most of them, I'm going to guess most of them and maybe almost all of them are wonderful people. And, and there's a great number of them that are solid hunters and they spend a lot of time. But at the same time, I know that the, the way the programs are portrayed on the outdoor channel or sportsman or whatever it is, and I'm not knocking that it's good entertainment. For me, it's not necessarily uh, an educational tool. And we all feel like, gee whiz, you know, we're going to do the same thing and that we don't realize it took them two years to finally show what we've watched in one episode or uh, part one and part two. I like the idea that when you have your podcast and you have your pictures, you've got everyday people shooting equally nice bucks that we're seeing that these TV producers are shooting. I mean, shooting nice bucks just by simply adopting what we just got in talking about, what you what you shared with us, yeah. and that rut functional uh, thing. I mean, there's they're, they're going out shooting some dandies. I have been fortunate enough to get to meet most of our TV uh, hunters, our sportsmen that's on television. I I know say we're all we're personal friends, but I, I've met most of your TV celebrities. I've done podcasts, many of them, and they are they are great. They are great people. I haven't run across any of them that aren't are top notch. Some of them I consider friends. Yes. And uh, one of them that's uh, what you would say major on the outdoor channel uh, wouldn't have an outdoor channel without him. He gave me a Facebook note 
this week, and because I was remarking about how his one of his TV programs had its uh, its girls on, and did a, a hunt about how important the hunt was, not just the success. And it was really good. Yes. And you know that. So I know these these folks, and and here's the difference: most of them are good hunters. Most of them are were, are really good, and uh, they understand scent control. They understand deer. But because they're into the TV production business, they have to have great places to hunt. So most of their hunting is using people like you that are experienced and knowledgeable and have set up and done the work for them to come in to hunt. Yeah, that's that's what it that's what it is. So they're going to prime areas where the deer population is controlled and managed and the food is managed so that they can shoot good TV. Yeah. It's not that they're not good people, they're great folks. They, they love to hunt and it's uh, it's it's the business that's forced them to, to, to do that. Absolutely. And, uh, Absolutely, yeah. 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 And some of, a couple of them has uh, encouraged me to, to spread uh, this message that you and I are talking about, put me in touch with editors and so forth. Because they know it's important, they just don't have time to do it themselves. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, what yeah. you're trying to do is you're utilizing it yourself and for others, and that's basically yeah. what they would need done. They need these people to do that. I, I, I like I said, one of the, a couple of these people are so top notch and great folks, and I watch their TV programs, and I'm thinking, I wish I could have spent more time talking to them. <laughs> see an awful lot of pictures of people, the everyday person, that have adopted your rut functional method of uh, scouting hunting type thing, and they're shooting high quality bucks by simply saying, hey, I'm, you know, my, my, my grandpa taught me some neat things, my dad taught me some neat things they're saying, and I'm saying... I'm not throwing it all out, uh, the baby out with the bathwater, but there's a better way to go about this. And then, oh, yeah. and because it's showing results, and you you have a lot of people that have adopted your rut functional. Yeah, and they're, and they're I like to see it. Of yeah. everyday hunters. Yes, exactly. skeptical at first, but uh, some of them are great hunters that, that went the other mile and did this. Yeah, all you got to do is go to the uh, Huntfish Journal podcast look for the one that's called rut Funk, or being look for the one that's called uh, rut roundups yes and these rut roundups are people that call, call us and contact us and say look i did it and this is what happened and and some of them did it totally some of them did it part way and had good success but next year they just kept getting you know they're yeah lots of success hundreds of them yeah and it's not just in uh, the midwest i mean Oklahoma, Arkansas, Canada, Wisconsin, New York, it's all yeah. over. Yeah, absolutely. The reason being is you got to understand like you do, you got to understand the key dates to hunt are different all over the United States. Yeah. The rut doesn't happen the same in the same in Tennessee the same day as it does in Michigan. In fact, if you're smart, you can hunt the upper peninsula of Michigan and, and hit the <laughs> best day to hunt and then go down below the bridge and hit the best day to hunt. That's right. I that's, mean, that's... You, can have, you can have Christmas twice. Well, Jerry, it's yeah. funny you say that because we're doing just that. I, I was, you know, you sit around camp, I should say, I sit around camp and I got hunters out there and 
my mind's going and I don't know, maybe I should do something else. Maybe I should be putting another coat of paint on the cabin uh, exterior or something. I don't know, but I just thought, man, all these spots, I know they're all not going to get hunted. That's okay. We're not here to shoot a top shelf buck in every spot. That's not how it works. Hunting's hunting, but we decided to roll out a, uh, a rut being prime. The does getting bred on those key days, as in like November 1st. Yeah. We're going to put together some put back together some bow hunt, which we have done about, I'd say, three or four years ago for about two or three years in a row. We just could not develop deer activity, and I pulled them because the white-tailed deer population kind of fluctuates with the severity of the previous winter. I mean, we've had some winters that knocked the deer down, and we're still seeing deer activity with rut functional uh, methods. Oh, yeah. So I and thought we're going to come you, back you, to this bow hunting. There's no two ways about it. Oh, it's, see, you you can you can have excellent bow hunting for bucks in the, in the upper part of Michigan, in not not in November, not I'm talking about not November the tenth, not November the eighth, not like we did most people right TV shows. You're talking about October. Yes. End of October. Yes. You got key day, key days to hunt. Yeah. Is, is, uh, is October. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, don't, people don't get it. They don't. No. They're uh-huh. used to reading the magazine. They don't understand. Yeah. And, and the moon guide doesn't calculate it correctly. They don't. <laughs> right. That doesn't do it. It has to do with yeah. the rate of change in sunlight. And believe me, I know how to calculate it. It's, it's there. I understand coughing the right calculator to tell you when those key days are. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it we took me years, years, and years to accumulate enough data to calculate that. Yes, so it works. Yeah, we're looking forward to. We're running a, a, a camp of four guys, and towards the tail end of October, then the very front end of November. I mean, first few days for about five days. So. We're running another group of four, and they're going to be hunting totally separate spots. But we decided to kind of throw a twist in things because I love to trap so darn much that uh, there's a buddy of mine, he's in the Coast Guard, hired him to come and run a trap line. So some guys, you know, you get four guys, some guys will sit in the tree stand all day, some guys don't. And I'm okay with whatever they choose to do. It's their hunt. They're going to run the trap line with this Ryan midday or whatever part of the day they're not going to be hunting. I told the one guy, at the end of about three or four days, you know, you're going to be too poop to participate. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So, uh, I, that, that's something that I have, uh, over the years, that's something else I had to learn. I had to learn, um, uh, you know, I got a lot of, I got a lot of buddies uh, that, that uh, are, are within 10, 15 miles of me all here that have learned this and love to hunt these key days of the, oh, yeah. uh, the run. Yeah. And uh, we have a policy, uh, yeah, we'll help, but we, we, we're not going to help until March. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, we can't forfeit uh, these days, they're too important. That's right. And, uh, yeah. and by the time you get done doing this, you, you are so keyed up, you see these deer, before I continue on though, I want to say to your, to your listeners, a lot of the times these does show up in these scrapes too. I yeah. mean, you know, I harvest does in these scrapes. I, I get my dough early, usually before the key days of the rut, right in these scrapes. Yep, absolutely. Boy, yeah. they're fascinated with these scrapes. Yeah. They don't they don't come and run them and, and, and urinate in them like they do when they're getting ready to be bred. But, but they can't avoid them. They'll come to them. Yeah. But anyway, uh, we 
get so you're so worked up and and uh, the time the day's over you you're just shot just you can't you're you're just oh, mentally man. and physically shot and usually usually that's exactly what happens is you have shot yeah with a bow and arrow you yeah. have shot at something but yes. before that day's over usually so you are looking to see if you hit it or you're tracking yeah and uh, you're out there tracking that night that if you're successful great you got to get it back in and your buddy if you're not your buddy you're out helping him track yeah that's exactly what back happened up back in that stand that next day <laughs> yeah it's something oh this is exactly I, I, I would say this to the listeners if you if you go on that stand you, you want to be persistent you want to stay there as much as you can put your time in on that stand if you don't see some deer uh, probably your issue is pressure yeah I, I mean if I don't see four or five bucks uh, in that day in that stand I don't want to talk about trophies but four or five bucks usually one trophy or so out of that I found out about one out of five during those days a key days that's about the only time you see these big bucks though is during that yeah around those scrapes yeah you won't see them on the on the on the food plot you only see them in those scrapes those key days but you'll see about one out of five that are real uh, mature bucks yeah and you got to have the stamina to pass them up unless you want to take the smaller buck that's a that's right. I hope I didn't sound too excited. No, hey, that's good because I tell you what, I I told my wife, I said, I, you know, I just kind of, you know, we chit chat and she listens to a little of my hunting story or whatever. And uh, I kind of went on a, not a rant, but I, I just told her, I said, well, all the craziness has happened and I'm taking it serious. Her being in the medical field, she's taking it very serious as well. I told her, I said, I feel I got a little bit of guilt feeling because I'm gearing up towards hunting season and I'll... I'll get my boots on and I'll get my gloves on when the time is right. I want to make sure I am doing the right thing according to our responses to this virus thing. But I'm thinking about it constantly. I got my, I mean, I played out my trip in the woods for my right. about 12 or 13 different hunt spots in the UP. I've already played them out and I've, I've got my stuff all set. And so I almost have a little bit of a guilt feeling because I am I got a little smile on my face about this stuff. Because yeah, we're, I, we're, one of, we're one of the few people that can go do what we wanted to do. Yeah, that's absolutely. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and not, yeah, that's right. We can do things that are permissible and others can't. Yeah. And I understand. If I, if yeah, I could, right if I had a, uh, if I had a vehicle that already doesn't have a whole lot of miles on it or if it if 12 hours wasn't such a long drive out to missouri where we lease some property for some trophy whitetail hunts rut season is unbelievable out there but we've noticed the same thing there is if you're if you're hunting some other areas uh you know it can be kind of a you know maybe not that active not that uh exciting you'll see that buck but he, you know i thought man this 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 will apply out there perfectly so instead, in. yeah, instead Calls of them in for miles, yeah, you're hunting yeah. that 300 like acres. Three mile, like a three mile area, and you're calling every deer. You're calling every buck within a three mile area. Oh yeah. Area. Oh, I got a, I got yeah. a nephew. I got a nephew that's uh, he really enjoys reading material. He's adopted the uh, the saddle type of tree stand, we'll call it, and he said that's a game changer for him being able to hunt most any tree. He doesn't. He's not hauling metal things out in the woods now. And I told him about this, and he said, I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to make it happen. And and I said to him, I said, well, you know, Derek, you've got all your ducks in a row. You know how to scent control. You you know those things. You know the, 
I mean, he's a very astute hunter. But, you know, it's just one of those things where this is a new, this rut functional thing is, it's not new, but it's new to him. You're right. It, 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 it is going to catch on, and it'll catch on just like the grunt call did, just like the rest of them. But this will change. It will change the way to hunt. It, yes, indeed. For, for us, for us uh, what you would say, middle class people, uh, <laughs> financially, it will change the way you hunt. Yeah. It will be the way to hunt in the future. I'm convinced of it. I know it will. Hey, uh, hey, amen to that, then. I'm okay with it. I, I, did, I, I want to mention one other thing before we... Uh, I keep These things keep coming to mind as, I, as we're going through these scenarios. Uh, I've had a lot of people get in touch with me that does, that does this, and uh, they, they'll run those, make their box breaks about 40 days, you know, before the key day to hunt. And uh, then they'll come back in the middle of it and say, "They're not. Uh, they only open one scrape. They're not. They're not hitting it. It's not working. There's something wrong with my scent or something." I have run experiments on scrapes on on stands I've set up before, and I just want to tell your listeners: you sometimes these bucks will come in and just tear your box scrapes up, and you'll have maybe two or three out of six of them made, and I, I hardly understand with less than six box scrapes around it, six licking branches. Sometimes they, you won't see that buck activity. They won't hardly open them up, and you'll think, what's going on? What's wrong? I have had cameras on uh, on research uh, sites to see what's going on, yeah. and these deer, these bucks are coming there. They come to them, and they don't scrape them out, and I, I haven't figured out yet why they don't scrape them out sometimes, and sometimes they do. I uh, had a camera on this one site to where the three scrapes, two or three scrapes opened, worked out of, I think it was seven there, and the rest of them was not uh, touched, it didn't look like, but there were tracks in it. Well, do you know I had 10 different bucks in that scrape that was not opened up? Oh, wow. 10 different bucks, two 10 points, and everything down to a, to a pork torn. They all hit that licking branch. They all were in that scrape. Most usually, I'd say 80% of the time, they urinated in it. Wow. So, that's something. Hey, so, you, meant, you mentioned earlier, I mean, I'm interrupting here, I apologize, but you said putting cameras out, but you mentioned a lot earlier about, you know, probably not wanting to put a camera on your primary hunt spot. Reason, the reason being that is cameras are very deer are very uh, especially in areas where they're hunted heavily or areas where they're not used to humans being there a camera has some odor to itself and you can try to decontaminate the odor uh, you know spray it and so forth that helps a lot batteries included scent wise but most people use cameras for good looking pretty pictures deer find those cameras especially bucks and i used to when i used them uh, they would find that camera and a big good buck he'd look at it and that'd be the last time he'd be in there yep so, absolutely uh, you need a camera high tilt it down and don't go in to run it very often just like you said okay batteries i i do it for for test uh, stands and for for data for information and then so i don't go in and check it very often yeah uh, but wow. yeah it's high and tilt it down Wow. And uh, blackout because if you put it down below, you're going to create pressure with your camera. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Good information. Well, I'm looking at the uh, timeline, and 
Boy, it's, it's funny. I mean, we could talk another two or three hours. I know that because it's just uh, good stuff. But uh, we'll have to do another one soon, uh, Jerry. Uh, Anytime. Yeah, boy, this is much obliged. This is going to, this is always great information. It's going to be great information for our listeners. They'll appreciate it. I might even break it down because I'm looking at the timeline and, and put it into uh, like a part one, part two, um, just for ease of purposes of uh, attention span type stuff. So I, I would I would do the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes I'll get started on something and time gets away from me. I'm not, <laughs> not bad about that. So. Oh, no, this is, this is outstanding. This is outstanding stuff, and I really appreciate it. Jerry, it's been a pleasure talking to you again, and, and like I say, uh, with your permission, we'll be uh, connecting up again in the, in the near future. And uh, meanwhile, um, yeah, there's some craziness out there, but hey, like we said at the front end of this podcast, it's a uh, it certainly affords us a time to pause because we must, but pause our our thoughts on some high priority items in our life and uh, and kind of refocus exactly. back on that and stuff that really brings us true uh, true joy. That's exactly right. Put our confidence in uh, Christ. Uh, we'll live today like there won't be any tomorrow, but we're going to plan for a deer season. That's <laughs> yeah, I like that. Th- thanks again, <laughs> thanks care. again, Jerry. You have a great day. Talk hey, to you me. too. You take care, buddy. Bye. Bye, bye. Wild Game Dynasty podcast episode number fifty-nine is brought to you by. Before you load it, before you cock it, before you fire it, please. Take a firearm safety course. Together, we can save more lives while still protecting your own. Ghost Rider Defense holds robust CPL courses that exceed the requirements by the state of Michigan. We'll teach you the proper way to handle, fire, and maintain your firearm, as well as home defense fundamentals. Find class details online at ghostriderdefense.com. That's ghostriderdefense.com. Folks, hey, I've said it before, I'll say it again, particularly on this one. Hey, I told you. Um, it was a long podcast. I could have made that thing two hours easy. The information that Jerry shared selfishly just through a, a phone call to him saying, hey, would you be on our podcast? The guy has put in countless hours developing his techniques. And he is, um, you know, he just shares. He likes to share with people so that they can have a better day out in the woods, a better success story. And he's the first one to say, success is not measured by putting a tag on a deer, but doggone it, if that's your goal, he's got the recipe for a success story. Also, hey, Ghostwriter, um, the advertising partnership that I've uh, teamed up with, we did an advertising on this podcast, you heard that just a minute ago, um, they're putting together some, some classes on concealed weapon and some other classes. They've developed a plan. They've had it approved for social distancing, etc. So don't be afraid to reach out to those folks at Ghost Rider. Meanwhile, give Jerry Everhart a go-to by looking up Hunt Fish Journal on Google. Do a Google search for Hunt Fish Journal. And also, give me an email and I will route you to the website that offers the sale of the um, the product, the deer scent that Jerry talks about in that podcast. That is very critical to get the proper stuff. And I tell you, the, the price, modest. He's not making a big buck off this thing. He's basically promoting it. But uh, 
Anyways, it's he has a, a partnership with a coffee roaster, coffee uh, distributor. I think it's uh, Hunter's Blend, and his link is embedded on the Hunter's Blend coffee site. So um, obviously, he's not you know t he has not taken this to the national level where he's looking to make a big amount of money. He wants hunters to succeed. That's pretty cool. Hey, without further ado, uh, let's wrap this up. Happy Easter, folks. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Take care. We'll talk to you next time.